This episode of The How of Car Washing is sponsored by Focused Car Wash Solutions. Focused Car Wash Solutions is your complete guide to having a successful business in the car wash industry. Visit FocusedCarWash.com for more information. Welcome to The How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner operator and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Hi, this is David Begin with the How of Car Washing. My guest today is Kenneth Peebles. Kenneth is the Midwest Tunnel Manager for Blenco Car Wash Chemical Systems. Uh, Kenneth is out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's got a interesting and long career in the car wash business, which I think is great. In 1998, uh, Kenneth got a welding degree from uh, the Tulsa Technology Center. Are you a great welder, Kenneth? Uh, you know, I uh, today I would tell you no, because okay. you know, just like golf, if it, if you're not practicing an art form, it, it goes to the wayside uh, pretty sure. quickly. But uh, I, I can make two pieces of metal stick uh, most times. That's great, great. Good, good welders are hard to come by. I was just wondering. So uh, he he got a degree in that. Then he went to work for Sunny's. So he was a business development manager for Sunny's back in two thousand eight, and then became an operations manager in San Diego for a car wash chain called Soapy Joe's. We were just talking about that. Just I was just in San Diego, and then went to work and had his own car wash, I believe, um, Hanks Express Car Wash in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, which I believe is just right outside of Tulsa. Is that correct? Yeah, just a suburb just outside of Tulsa. Yeah, yeah. So he did that for about six or seven years, and now he's with Blenco as a regional tunnel sales manager uh, for chemicals. So good, good. That's great. What uh, I always ask a question, Kenneth, how do people get into the car wash industry? What? How did you get into it? And then obviously you've got a long career in it, so you're, um, you know, you've been doing it quite a bit. But how, how did you get into the car wash industry? Well, uh, actually, it, it started with Hanks Express Car Wash years ago. Um, uh, Whenever that facility was built, it was built um, from Arkansas Car Wash Systems, uh, Ronnie Corbin and, and Paul Stagg. And that was the last location they built before they started down the Rapido Rabbit boomerang concept. And they were business partners together in that. And they understood car washing and they understood detailing. And I came from the automotive uh, quick lube and, and mechanical background. And so I started off operating their quick lube. And um, six months into it, uh, they were looking for somebody to assist in the car wash. And after I started helping out in the car wash, uh, more than just, you know, rinsing it down or making sure a single customer was actually happy, going through the process each day, I just fell in love with car washing. And I said, you know what, the, the quick lube industry is fun, but, uh, you know, all the different variables that happen in a car wash kept my attention much faster than just changing oil or, or working on customers' cars. That's good. Good. So, what what do you particularly like about the car wash industry? You've stuck with it, and it's been your career for many years. What 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 specifically do you like about the car wash industry? Uh, you know, it's it's that every day is a new challenge, but it's a challenge that is almost always achievable when it's within a twenty four hour period. So, every problem that we have as an operator, or as you know, as a as a consultant, or as a chemical guy, or as an, as an installer. Each day, when you really look at it, you may be waiting on parts or, or, or something along those lines, but we really do have an opportunity to every day make people happy and hopefully profit in the, in the meantime. And there's not a lot of industries anymore where at the, when you wake up each day, you have your list of, of achievable goals, and you actually have, in my opinion, you can get everything done and make everybody happy and, and leave that day with feeling much more fulfilled. 
Good, good. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same reason why I like the car wash industry and have stayed with it. But uh, so you've been with Blendco. Tell me a little bit about, you've seen chemistry sort of change over the years. What have you seen in the last five to 10 years that's fundamentally changed about car wash chemistry and chemicals in general? Well, so, you know, what I've seen the biggest things is that with Blenco, our, our roots are, have stayed the same. We, we really believe in a two-part approach with, with your uh, Alkaline products. And I think that the industry has accepted or adopted the concept of a multi-part system much more so in the last five to ten years. Whereas before, when you had everything was pre-formulated, you know, whatever soap you had, that's if you needed a stronger alkaline, for example, um, you also had to have a stronger surfactant package. And seeing that other, you know, chemical companies are adopting that concept today kind of kind of gives more proof that, that it is a more economical approach, in, in my opinion. And the advancement in the, in the waxes and in the drying agents and the carnubas um, and the profitability for that for the end user has gotten so much stronger in the last few years as well. Yeah, I've, I've had people tell me that a lot of the chemical companies sort of grew up like they might have been offering laundry soap or other, other cleaning applications. They sort of got into the car wash business. But I think we're starting to see now where there's specific dedicated chemical companies for the car wash industry that are making and blending chemistry and actually researching chemistry specifically for washing cars and washing vehicles. And I think that's making a difference in the products we're getting. Yeah, absolutely. I think that any time that you have an approach where um, this one profit center is as is an add-on, um, it's just that much harder to get consistent long-term quality and growth out of it. And you hit the nail on the head. There's there's enough uh, chemical providers right now that this is their main focus. This is what they do day in, day out. And because of that, the, the research and development, the applications, the, the real-time testing just gets that much more professional and that much more consistent. Yeah, yeah. So Blenco takes a fundamentally different approach to chemicals and the chemical process for the for the car wash operator. Do you want to describe that? Absolutely. So with Blenco, our, our powerhouse product lineup is going to be our SuperSat system. And, and in that, what we're going to do is we're going to take a powder to liquid approach. Um, you can get a great al- alkaline liquid, and we also offer that as well. But when you look at what is your what is going to be your actual uh, most economical approach is going to be using a, a powder. Well, the problem with traditional powder systems is that you're having to measure and you're, and you're having to determine how uh, how soluble the product is or is it is it going to stay in solution. So with that SuperSat system, what we're able to do is consistently bring a strong product to your application. Whereas in the past, if you had a uh, guy in the back room that put one gallon less in the container when he was mixing it up, that's that's affecting the overall strength of that container or drum of product that you've mixed up. With a SuperSat system, with it not trying to dissolve every bit of powder that's in there, it's just trying to get the water to absorb all that it can, you, you have a much more uh, consistent product that's going to come out of it without any of the issues that you traditionally would have with a powder system. Okay, so so the example that's been used for me, because I'm still pretty much a neophyte, is when if you take a glass of water and you put sugar in it, like a teaspoon of sugar and stir it up, that sugar will disappear. You put another teaspoon in, stir it up, it'll disappear. It eventually gets to the point where that water can't hold any more sugar. And what you start seeing, you start seeing sugar build up on the bottom of the glass. And at that point, I guess the water would be considered to be super saturated. Is that correct? That's exactly it. And so in, in, 
in the car wash industry, as we're using out of that container, as we're drinking water out of that glass, what a lot of the other systems that have been out there, that what they all face as the same pitfall is that uh, you have to add water back to that and make another batch of, of, of product. But with a SuperSat system, uh, it is continuously filling that container based on its usage. And so you're never going to have a point where a SuperSat container gets empty. Um, so it's always going to stay within probably a gallon or two of, of whatever's in there. And it, it may be a, a smaller margin than that. It may be within a half gallon. So anytime that you're introducing new water, um, there's a set of photo eyes in there that, that register how, uh, how thick that, that mixture is. And so if it needs to go ahead and mix back up or supersaturate that new incoming water, it does that. And if there's no water being used, it's going to sit there and allow it to, uh, to maintain as well. Okay, so as as it's filling up, it'll sense the amount of water, and then it's got a a dispensing system for the powder to put the right amount of powder back in to the container. Is that correct? Right. So the so the powder is just sitting in a bed, basically at the bottom, um, and and that will you know ultimately uh, as as it gets used or as it's sol you know uh, soluble, it'll you will have to manually refill that. But you can put multiple boxes worth of powder in there at a time. So you can depending upon how busy a location is, you can operate multiple days without physically having to add anything else to it, but it'll continuously mix as needed without any, okay. without any manual input. Okay. So you can actually over, I'm going to say overput, but you put more in than you need, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't go to waste because when you put more water in it, it'll blend it again. Then you add more powder to it. You get it. So it's super saturated again. And you always know that the water that you're drawing from has a hundred percent concentration of the chemical as opposed to 80% or 85% or whatever the guy decided to put in or not put in if he was trying to do it himself. Right. And then you also have with, uh, with a, with a more traditional or, or, or an older uh, technology worth of, of, of powder mixing. It's also people have had issues with how many scoops of powder do you put in? And so with our system, you don't have to worry about how much powder or how much water you put in. The machine takes care of that as long as you empty the entire box in there. It does everything else for us. In the past, it's how long did you mix it? How much water did you put in? Was the box too heavy so the guy only put in you know, a scoop versus the entire container? So with our system, it eliminates all of the guesswork, all of the uh, labor burdened, if you will. And that way, it just provides a consistent product. Right. And so the advantages of powder, obviously, is you're not shipping water. One of the big issues for years and years if people are buying 35 gallon or 55 gallon containers of chemical is they're they're buying a pre-blended solution although it's still in concentrate form um it's 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 down to a point where uh it can be dispensed in the car wash system and then metered down with measuring tips but you're shipping quite a bit of water i mean it's you know you're in waterways quite a bit of money and shipping co companies like to charge for that Absolutely, and so what, what we look at is with the, the powder to uh, powder to water solution or, or powder to liquid solution that, that you have on site. You you don't have any of that shipping cost, but it's not just the shipping from from our facility to your facility. You also have to look at all the different uh, ship points that it's going to touch as well. Traditionally, you're going to have a distributor, so there's going to be a shipping from manufacturing to a distributor, from a distributor to your facility, and all of that additional. Uh, fuel charge and, and, and shipping cost comes right back to how much are you paying per gallon or how much are you paying per milliliter. And it, it's a massive savings when you can, when you look at the chemistry behind it, 
Uh, a traditional soap container only has about 20% of active ingredient in it because your alkaline and your surfactants have a level that they uh, will no longer play well together. And so with that, one of, the, one of the couplers or binders in there, there are couplers and binders in it on their own, but one of the things that keeps that, that relationship happy is actually water. So when you're buying a 55-gallon drum, you have to understand and accept that 80% of that is an actually active product. And the science behind it um, is continuously improving, but even in the, in the most concentrated forms, it's, it's much harder to get past that level. Yeah, so I, I certainly see that as a major advantage as far as shipping and even storage. You know, you don't have to store 55 or 35-gallon containers. You can have a lot more on the shelf available to you so you don't have to take shipments as often. So there's probably a tremendous amount of benefit when you're starting to talk about powder or super-concentrated product lines. Uh, so as far as chemistry is concerned, what have you seen in the happen in the last three to five years to improve chemistry and chemistry delivery to the to the tunnel i think as operators actually we've we've opened our eyes a lot more to why um why we spend as much as we do per application so the chemistry has gotten phenomenally better but at the same time i think operations have gotten a lot better as well and it's not to say 20 years ago we didn't have phenomenal operators but i think there's just so much more support now um, and by that what i mean is when you look at a brand new pre-soak arch from any manufacturer the number of nozzles and the size of those nozzles is generally much larger than what we actually need to clean a car. Mm -hmm. And you know, part of that, that uh, chemical expense is only putting out there what's needed. So when you have a direct injection style system that's giving you a smaller water droplet, and so you can actually afford to go down on the quantity or size of, of nozzles that you're using, you're getting a better uh, painted effect as an example for your pre-soak. And because of that, you have to look at how much total volume of, of chemistry is going on a car. Well, now that we're at a point where we can actually start reducing the number of nozzles or putting smaller nozzles on than we did five years ago, um, we no longer have to have the same total volume of chemistry used, which directly affects what your cost of goods is going to be. Yeah, I, I think the chemical delivery systems have gotten much better and much more precise. And I would imagine when I think about the older days, those systems were not as precise and so I think an operator felt like I can't really manage this as well as I would like to. And because of that, I'm just going to go with what I've got and that's it. I just want to make sure I get soap out in the tunnel. But some of the technologies now, like the high pressure pumping systems that uh, HFI might, might, uh, might offer, um, you know, where, where now you can do it through high pressure and even have smaller tips uh, makes, makes a big difference. And, you know, and there's with, with, Dosatrons, for example, which is another chemical delivery system, it's a lot easier to dial that in. And I think you get more consistency over time where when we first opened our car wash, we had these RTU, we call them RTU buckets, um, I think, which which were premixed chemical. When the car wash needed it, you know, the, a flow jet air pump system would pump it out to the tunnel. And then when that RTU bucket or, you know, chemical got low, then it went ahead and made more and it was just kind of sitting there ready to go. And there were some, there was always issues with those, you know, your flow jets would wear out over time. And so we have a new flow jet versus an old flow jet that would uh, modify the amount of chemical that would go out there. Tips would wear out quicker. Um, and so, you know, keeping up with tip sizes and making sure your tips are not wearing out was another issue, but I'm seeing, you know, better, better technologies nowadays to sort of help us manage that. So, as a car wash operator, we have an opportunity to really kind of dial in our chemistry and dial in our cost 
overall. Is that what you're seeing as well? Absolutely. I mean, I, I will say from uh, from a chemical sales uh, associates standpoint, my, my general rule is about a one to two mil variance from target is what I'm looking for. If I can get within one to two mils consistently, um, I'm accepting of that. In 2004, when I started, and you're, you were feeding a pre-soak arch with a one inch, you know, uh, PVC line, whereas today, you know, you're, you're getting away with a three eighths or, or a half inch in, in some cases. Um, back then, I was looking for a five to 10 mil variance. And so oh, now wow. we've really cut that you know, back considerably. And it's because of the support of all the different avenues in the industry that have gotten so much strong in the last five to 10 years from, you know, foamer technology to the application arches themselves, to the chemistry, to the delivery systems, uh, to the computer systems that are, you know, now being able to, to measure the vehicle a little bit more accurately than what they have been in the past. So all of these things kind of combined are giving us a much better relationship. And with, what I see the guys today that are having the most issues um, or the operators today that are having the most issues is that they have this at their disposal, but they're only utilizing maybe one or two key components. Maybe they have an HFI system, uh, but they still have an outdated, uh, you know, outdated foamer technology, or they're still using that arch that has nine, one and a half gallon a minute nozzles in it, where the reality is is they could cut that back to maybe four or five nozzles and go down to three-quarter or one-gallon-a-minute nozzles, those are the folks that are um, maybe not utilizing all the technology that's there today, but even that operator that's not tapping into that is still getting a cheaper cost of or cost per car than what we did 10 years ago. Good, good, yeah, yeah. This episode of The How of Car Washing is sponsored by Focused Car Wash Solutions. Focused Car Wash Solutions is your complete guide to having a successful business in the car wash industry. Whether you are a new investor or a seasoned operator looking to make improvements, the experienced team at Focus can help you every step of the way. For more information, please go to FocusedCarWash.com. So when we talk about foam, foam's an interesting subject because it seems like there's you know, you need to be able to develop the right type of foam because foam creates some great things for the car wash, but it also creates problems further down the tunnel uh, when you're trying to get it off the car. So foam generation technology, give me a little indication of where you've seen that go in the last five to 10 years. I remember, you know, we would make our own foam generators. We'd run over to Home Depot and grab some Scotch-Brite pads and stuff them in a tube, and that that would be our foam generator and then you know every six months we'd have to replace that but that's gotten a lot better which has given us a lot more consistent show in the tunnel but what have you seen with foam generators over the last five to ten years well it, you know when you look at the technology that's in the foam generator today they're, they're also looking at it's not just the media but it's also the back pressure that's going through the system and the the technology that we have today versus let's just put a, a media in there uh, now that media has actually been designed for a specific purpose um, you're able to keep them much cleaner because they're a lot faster to, to open up and, and, and maintain. All of that together is providing an opportunity where you don't have to have as much surfactant to reach the level of show or performance as you did five years ago or 10 years ago or whatever that timeline needs to be there. And so when you look as an operator, what does that mean to you? Well, you can still produce a great-looking application, an application that is still effective, 
But if you can save a couple mils of product out of there, or a couple mils of, of surfactant out of it, that that by itself, regardless of the product that's going through there, uh, is already helping you get to a better rinsing opportunity. Where you may have used 15 or 20 mils of a product with uh, a less um, quality foam generator, um, now once you have that better technology in there, you can put considerably less surfactant in it. You're still going to get a great show, but it's it's able to dissipate a little bit quicker. So uh, foam foam generator. So that's that's a particular application within the tunnel that does need some attention and love and maintenance. And I see some operators just they totally forget that part of the 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 tunnel uh, until it's too late, and now they're just producing soap water instead of foam. So what are some guidelines or suggestions or advice you give your customers when it comes to maintaining foam generators? So one of the, one of the things that I look at is how, what, what, first I'm going to start off with what is the quality of your water because that's, that's really where it's all going to start back to. So if you're in an area that has um, hardened water and maybe your, your municipality won't allow for a softener or you've elected to not put in a softener, you're going to be having to maintain that foam generator as often as weekly. So whether that's pulling the media out and cleaning it, replacing the media, whatever works for your business profile, um, the, the, the biggest component that's going to be what your starting water quality is to begin with. And then from there, it's also going to be how many, you know, what, what's your total volume in this facility. So as a generic rule, I like to have my clients or, or myself go through at least monthly and go ahead and clean the media in there. But if I have a client that I know in particular has an issue with their softener or maybe they don't have a softener, um, they may be a thousand cars into it. And so, you know, there, there's a, on part of their maintenance regimen, every thousand cars, we're going to go ahead and pull the foam media out and clean those. Well, when you look at what is that time, you know, timetable look at, well, eight to 10 years ago to go in there and into any, you know, express tunnel and clean all the foam media, that's a three hour project because you may have yes. 20 different foam generators that you're doing. And so you're having to dismantle each one of those. And today with the quick technology, um, and, and there's multiple manufacturers out there that have the quick te quicker technology now, but you can go through in a tunnel and clean all your foam generators in most cases in less than 30 minutes. And a lot of the times you can have some spare media in the back room and you can actually do it in between washes. So you brought up an interesting point I didn't know, but um, so I don't have a water softener and I'm considering getting one. And our water right now is three grains, which I hear is kind of on the fence between hard water and soft water, but people are telling me, get a water softener no matter what. Now, um, even if you have one, one, one grain hardness. I, I'm of the philosophy that, that I would always want zero, right? So every, every one grain of, of hardness is three to 5% um, additional usage in your, in your soaps. And so if you're at three grains, you're looking, you know, six to 15% more uh, or nine to 15% more uh, added cost to your bottom line every month. And so in that scenario, yeah, a water softener would, would be beneficial. On the back side of that, uh, I also see a lot of people that will have a tendency to um, ignore what is that water softening process and what are the long-term uh, maintenance needs with that. It's, you know, it's not just the brine tank, but making sure that it cycles correctly and making sure that the media bed's replaced on a you know, semi-annual, annual, however often it needs to be for your particular scenario. Um, so in, in that world... At three grains, if I'm going to go build a new location, um, I'm, I'm going to probably put one in. But I also have clients that have, you know, eight to ten grains, and it's not even in their wheelhouse of, of wanting to yet. But you have to have that understanding that 
with every one grain, there's going to be a percentage of added cost. And if if your chemical costs are at an acceptable level today, could you save five to ten percent more, fifteen percent more? And, and how does that impact your bottom line? And if that if that number is attractive, then yes, I would. So you mentioned something else, which I didn't realize. You said some municipalities would not allow a water softener. Is that correct? Yeah. So you have some municipalities that won't allow for the for the brine uh, or, or the backwashing cycle uh, that that brine cycle whenever it's the the water softener is recycling or regenerating, that discharge in some municipalities is not allowed. Okay. And, and you typically see that in, in a more, um, you see it a little bit more on the West Coast than you do maybe in, in Minnesota or in Oklahoma, for an example. I don't think I have any counties in Oklahoma that wouldn't allow for a water softener, but you do see that sporadically. Okay. And you got to get an industrial water softener. What I learned is you got to have a dual head because when the system's recharging, it might recharge in the middle of the day, or, and it might recharge based on the amount of water use. It might just, you know, some water softeners typically would recharge at night. But if you had a busy day, your system needs to recharge. you got to have what's called a dual head system, which will allow it still to produce soft water, but also recharge the other other half of the system. So that was a little education I got on water softeners as I was looking at them, because I thought I could just get a water softener and it didn't make any difference. But Come to find out, you do need to make sure you get an industrial water softener. Absolutely, and 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 when you speak of the dual head, that's one thing that a lot of people will overlook is is either a dual head or, or having multiple water softeners for that exact reason. Because there's nothing worse than having, you know, eighty, ninety, hundred car hours when things are going really well and you're happy and, and you know your customers are are excited and there's activity on the lot, and then out of nowhere, all the soaps stop performing as well as they did. Um, yeah, and, and that's a that's a, a very visual difference. And what I'm told is it does make a big difference in terms of the visualness and the way the as far as if we if you really care about the show you're putting on in a tunnel, then a water softener needs to be a part of that strat- overall strategy. Well, absolutely. And you look at you know as we get into the weeds on on what is affecting your chemical costs and how tight do you want to run that ship? You know, I've got some clients that. You know, they're, they like to run on that razor's edge of, of economy versus performance. And if they're on that edge and they're, they're a little bit more focused on the economy and they have a problem with that softener, well, when they had good, you know, good soft water to begin with and we were already at a really finite amount, once that, that, hard, that water starts to, be, to become hard again, now all of a sudden that performance is... You know, you may have had a nice thick foam on a wrap foam or a emitter foam, for example, and the moment you get two or three or four grains of hardness in that, if they were using a very low amount to begin with, now it may just be, it may just look like water. Sure. And so you may yeah. have lost all foaming capabilities at that point. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, let's talk about flow rates real quick. I think one thing we've seen technology-wise is a lot of us have gone to more higher pressure systems for chemical delivery in the tunnel we've gone to much smaller micro tips micro measuring tips now and there's some benefits of that but there's also some challenges around going from micro tips to what we consider to be the normal size tip so when you're really diluting the chemical down when you're dealing with concentrated chemicals you've got to go to much higher uh, tip tip numbers, which means the actual tip size or the hole in the tip is much, much smaller, which then can create problems. I've had some car wash operators that I know have sort of moved away from high-pressure chemical delivery systems, and they go with more traditional chemically delivery systems, but they like the 35 and the 55-gallon 
containers of chemicals because they don't have to worry about tips clogging, where when you're dealing with micro tips, you know, the opportunity for it being clogged is greater. So do you want to speak to that as far as what the issues are and maybe how you might help address it? Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was just at a training session this week, and, and, and that was one of the topics that we that we that had come up. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, if you can consistently meter something with a vice grip on a hose, which we both know that obviously that's not consistent, but if you could, that's all you're looking for with that tip is just a consistent restriction. Well, when you when you look at these tips that are you know a couple microns wide, um, and you're and you're pulling through with a with a high pressure system, it, it's it's got so much more vacuum than we've seen in with any other type of system out there. Any type of media or um, any contaminant that's gotten into a into a a soap or a wax absolutely has that opportunity to clog that up. So what we're what we're seeing now is you know, to, to try to prevent that as much as possible, you have people that are using smaller screens or smaller inlets on their foot valves um, to try to help uh, eliminate that opportunity. Uh, you have people that are paying attention to uh, or, or looking at different avenues of maybe using multiple restriction devices. Maybe they're using a, uh, a multiple larger tips um, somewhere in that pickup line to help eliminate the issues of those clogs in the micro tips. Uh, and then we also have a couple products that we utilize as well that uh, we use an, uh, a technology called an orifice tube where we're actually using the resistance of drawing through a, a secondary tube inside of your pickup tube. Um, that way it's got a larger orifice so you don't have the, the concerns or constraints of maybe you know closing up that tiny orifice, but it, it, it's just using the resistance of having to pull from basically two tubes inside of you know, one inside of another. Okay. Okay. And then obviously, if you're not paying attention to your, if you're not managing your chemical, you know, the opportunity for those micron size holes to get larger increases your chemical usage. So what's your recommendations on how do you, how do you manage when do you replace tips? So when we, when you look at the big picture and everybody has the retail price point, right? So I did an exercise about a year ago with, with a client. I said, if you went through and you replaced every tip once a month, Okay, and so when you look at what does that that impact, you know, it tips fifty cents to a dollar, something like that, right? So if you've got twenty different products, so if you spent twenty dollars on tips every month, the first of the month, just like whenever you're when you go do your ending inventory count or, or whatever your inventory process is, if you make part of that regimen changing all of your tips, you know, at the end of the at the end of the year, you spent twenty dollars every month on that, but you've also ensured that you're not going to either have a product that didn't function or that has been worn out. And that's actually what we're seeing a lot more often. It's, it's, it's not as much that we're overusing anymore, it's that we're underusing. And so when you look at products like your hot waxes and things of these nature where customers are paying a premium price for, you know, it's, it's no longer a $1 buy-up. It's a, it's a you know, $3, $4, $5, $6 buy-up sometimes. Well, when that option has now been underperforming for maybe a week or two weeks or a month because we're no longer getting as much as we even planned on putting out there, that, that impact hurts us just as much as, as overusage. Yeah. So what are your recommendations for a site manager to, on a daily basis and a weekly basis, to make sure their chemistry is doing what they're supposed to be doing? What, would, what are some recommendations you have? So, so we look at it two parts. So you, you look at what is your chemical provider's involvement in that, whether that's a distributor, whether it's direct, whether it's catalog. Um, if, you're doing a, if you're buying direct from a catalog or something along those lines, then, then your operation is 100% control of that maintenance. If you have a partnership with a distributor or a direct vendor in your area, uh, I like to have those eyes, if you will, maybe 
monthly or quarterly come through. Um, typically, maybe do a full review of the entire facility quarterly or semi-annually. And then I, I also follow that up with the maintenance schedule of with the manager, um, maybe looking at what the uh, foam, the foamer uh, maintenance is of a monthly or even a weekly maintenance, as well as looking at your your product offering that, that's coming out of the nozzle. If you notice that there's any drag or if there's any change in what your color uh, perception's been for, say, triple foam or, or a lava bath, as an example, if you notice any differences in those, um, go ahead and, and, and look at what is going on with that tip. Typically, what, what I'm seeing today is the more involved we have that human error. And so a lot of the times you may have somebody that'll go change a tip uh, that was clogged, legitimately clogged. Uh, but I see so much more human error and they don't get the hose bar, the hose back on the barb correctly and things like that. So th there is a fine line of, you know, maybe once a month is sufficient, but you also want to make sure that they're going through a, a safety check, if you will, once they're completed to make sure that it's still applying correctly or, or follow up, if you will, or a, a two person check where maybe, you know, employee A or manager A makes those changes and then at the next shift or the next day, a secondary manager or an assistant manager they may follow that up to ensure that the product offering is looking correctly. Yeah, it's uh, one thing I'm trying to train my site managers to do every day, and I'm hopefully they're doing it. I haven't been checking on them, but, you know, I tell them to go to the end of the tunnel in the morning, like in the first two hours of operation, stand at the end of the tunnel and look at the cars coming out. And I think they'll get a pretty good idea of, is the equipment doing what it's supposed to be doing? Is it cleaning properly? And are we getting a dry car? So we've had issues with, you know, drying agent you know, clogging up for whatever reason or the tips aren't working properly. But it's very quickly, if you have a trained eye, you can tell very quickly, is your drying agent working or not? And are you getting the car clean? And using that as a springboard to address whatever issues you have in the car wash, whether it's equipment not operating properly or your chemistry is not operating properly. So just look at the end result. But, you know, watch 10 to 15 cars and make that a daily habit. And uh, it'll give you a good indication of where you need to go to, to do some work if things aren't going right. Absolutely. I think that I have a handful of operators that I work with that are in high volume locations. They, they really focus on their operation a lot. And some of those may you know, do as you suggested where they're at the exit and they're looking what their final result is. Um, I have other operators that will look at the final result for, for maybe a, a couple cars. And then they'll also follow that up with maybe an hourly walk of the tunnel because you know, you're making sure there's no debris or anything that's fallen out of a, out of a vehicle or anything like that anyways. Mm -hmm. So part of that, you know, maintenance check, if you will, or cleanliness check is making sure that each function is, is coming on and looking like it did the last hour or, or how they were trained, you know, yeah. that that was supposed to look. So there's a, there's a good balance between both of those. And I think a lot of that is determined upon what is that site's volume and what is their commitment to their operation there. Yeah. And it's tough, it's tough to get people to do that. And you as a, you, you know, you've operated and known sites before, so you know, when you're there, five days a week, if there's something going wrong, it can become the new normal if you're not careful. So training those people to look at the wash with a new set of eyes is very, very critical unless, you know, the owner of the, is going to go do that as well. But if somebody's on site quite a bit, it's hard for them to see that there's something wrong or something different. And to train your people to have that capability, I think, is a is an important attribute. Absolutely, it is. I, I think that more and more, when we look at what is our what is our end result, so the focus on that end result it needs to be even stronger today than it was yesterday. But that that application that 
slowly uh, degenerates over time is is it's not impossible for the for the average car washer to pick it up, but for the average employee, it, it is a lot more difficult. You have to have a staff that fully buys into your commitment for a quality product. They have to understand that if they're not focused on that detail, uh, it'll slow. You know, it's just we all have good years and bad years with our weight, right? And so we can put on 10 or 15 pounds in a year and not notice it ourselves until somebody else does. Well, it's the same thing in our sure. car wash. We can easily, you know, be putting out a much worse product today than we did three weeks ago if we're not paying attention to that small, small area. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. And that, that weight analogy is a good one. So I'll use that in the future. But uh, last thing I want to talk about is I think what drives me crazy about new people getting in the industry is they start worrying about their chemical costs long before they ever open their doors. And so they say, they go around and they start interviewing distributors or chemical companies and say, I want my chemical cost to be 25 cents a car. And can you do that? And it puts the chemical distributor in a very difficult situation to start educating and explaining to the person that really at the end of the day, if you've got a successful operation, you want to manage your chemical costs, but it's hard to tell what your chemical costs are going to be because you want to get the best cleanest car you can for the least amount of money, but that number can be anywhere, you know, can be between 12 cents and 40 cents or whatever it might be. You want to focus, they're focusing on the wrong things, I think, initially. And what, what, how do you, how do you speak to that? Well, one of the things that I like to focus on is, is, you know, my philosophy is to not, not leave money on the table for, for the operator as far as we, nobody wants to overpay, right? That's just good business. But your chemical cost, what you're seeing as your average or what you're accepting as your average, should be a direct relation to what your ticket average is. And so if you want a 25 cent cost per car, you know, I'm going to look at what is that operator's business plan or what is their model. And if they're expecting to have, you know, a, a, a top package price point in Express north of $15 where they're doing a, a lava at the entrance and a hot wax application, maybe they're even $20. And if they're still expecting to have a 25 cent cost per car, you know, you just have to have a solid uh, conversation of we can get there, but you also understand you want a, a low ticket average. They, they go hand in hand. There's there's never going to be an opportunity where you're going to consistently get a 28 cent cost per car and have a $13 ticket average. And whenever you when you speak to it in the, in the revenue side of things, most operators will start to, to open up a little bit and understand, you know what, I don't want to spend $3 a car, but on this one application, if I have you know, if my business model is saying that I want a $10 ticket average and I'm hoping to get a $0.25 cent cost per car, it's, it's achievable, but I might be able to get an 11 or, or an 11.50 ticket average and I might only spend $0.35 or $0.40 cents to get there. And so in that world, um, if, I'm, if I'm increasing my gross revenue but my cost for that application was $0.10 cents more, uh, I'll take the extra $0.90 cents of profit every time. And it, it, as a business person, it's just hard to ignore that. And that alone will typically break down that barrier. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. That's good because I think people have to think about that more longer term. And, you know, chemical costs is one of the few controllable costs you've got in the car wash business, especially Exterior Express. I mean, your labor is pretty much a fixed cost for the most part. You're, you don't get to control your water. You can control your water cost to an extent. I'll, I'll give that. But like the utilities is tough to control. So when you're a business manager and business owner, you're looking for controllable cost, and that's one of the things that people feel like they can directly control. And I find a lot of operators want to over-control it 
and they're looking at the wrong metrics. But I think you've got a good perspective on how to get people educated to start thinking about the revenue side of the model. And in, in retrospect, it's, I mean, your cost per car, chemicals is not a huge number uh, when it comes to cost per car. You want to manage it and you want to be efficient with it, but, um, you know, you also want to be smart about it and not cut your nose off to spite your face, I guess would be the expression I would use. Absolutely. I think that the other the other key component to that cost per application that a lot of operators um, have a better opportunity to control today um, and they can control it easier today is the efficiency of those other items that we spoke about. So, you know, 10 years ago when an operator says, I want a 25 cent cost per car, when products were cheaper 10 years ago than they are today, it was, it was actually, it was just that much harder because you were working with those three quarter and one inch lines. You were working with those foam generators that were harder to maintain. You were working with those systems that had so many additional fail points in them that it wasn't the cost of the soap and it wasn't the cost of the, or, or, or the efficiency of that metering device that affected that cost per car. It was all these other components that affected it that much more. So that's the other conversation or the other part of the conversation that, that I have with that operator is if you want a strong ticket average, you're going to spend more per car, but the way that you're going to restrict that isn't going to be by putting in a smaller tip. We're, we're going to come in, we're going to set it to where you want your performance and how efficiently you obtain that consistent goal. That's what you control. So don't, you, know, you don't want to put an even smaller tip in there. You want to consistently provide the exact same thing. So when you are no longer providing a 10 mil application, if that was your standard, now you're using 15 milliliters because you have a small leak or you have a check valve that has an issue where you have a nozzle that's worn out, that's how you're going to maintain that that uh, more economical cost advantage. And, you know, kind of the theme that I've, I keep going back to is I think the guy that gets in the industry today as a brand new novice that goes and researches and gets some education, I think he has a better opportunity today than the operator that started 20 years ago. And we have so many successful people that have been doing this for 30 or, or 35 years. And so if, if they've been successful for 20 or 30 or, or 35 years, the guy today that, that walks in and has all these additional advantages at his disposal really doesn't have an excuse other than effort. Good, good. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's a great point and a great way to look at it. So I'm hoping people kind of take a broader view toward toward those attitudes. So this has been a great education, Kenneth. I do appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. I've learned some things here, and I'm going to go back and uh, make a few changes in my operations as a result of this conversation. But if people want to find out more information about Blendco as a company and the products you offer, where would you send them to? They can go to our website, uh, Blendco Systems. They can also reach me on LinkedIn. Um, we have uh, multiple different distributors all throughout the, the U.S., uh, as well as our, our regional sales managers that are all active in the different uh, social media platforms, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, the different groups in Facebook and those sorts of things. Good, good. Well, great. Well, Kenneth, thank you so much for your time. This was great. And let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the How of Car Washing. And thanks to our show sponsor, Focused Car Wash Solutions. Please visit us at thehowofcarwashing.com for the show notes to this episode. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.